you and your degenerate friends already waste enough time thinking about disc golf. But just in case, here's some extra material on the Fish Golf Broadcast. On this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast, I sat down with someone who has a lot of roles in disc golf, from player to professional driver to post-production commentary to live commentary to on-course correspondent, as well as agent. Uh, I may be missing some in there. Nate Perkins. Nate, what you thinking about? <laughs> I'm thinking that it's uh, great to sit down with you, Fish. And I've called you Andrew before during the round, but you've corrected me on that a few times. And I want to call you Andrew every time I see you. I'm like, Andrew. But I don't know why. It's what? Andrew Fish, a.k.a fish so so here's my premise mm-hmm. and you may get this as well there's a lot of andrews on tour there's a lot of nates on tour i don't know how you feel about the other nates but every single other andrew is lame they're <laughs> terrible boring people dull uninteresting mean-spirited i just want nothing to do with them we're not associating with with those guys <laughs> love that fish i love that i'm trying to presnell how many Andrews are out there? Marweed? Of course, Marweed. And Andrew Miranda. I'm trying to think of Dole, Dole Andrews, but... Uh, A.J. Carey is an Andrew. Uh, A.J. Is... Carey's first name is Andrew. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, is Drew Gibson, or is he just a Drew? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a good question. So it's kind of a toss-up, then, who the best Andrew disc golfer is on the tour I, I mean i think if you put us all together that's a pretty competitive like set of doubles teams or foursome or something like that like yeah. we might even rival the nate nathan nathaniel yeah for club. for a while i was like the clear number three nate and then nathan queen went and like won a tour championship so yeah, i I, like I got that. bumped down for sure to i think four but yeah, so we got Doss and Sexton and Queen, myself. But don't call Queen Nate. No, don't make that mistake. Don't call him <laughs> Nate. He'll look at you and go, it's Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> My mama didn't name me Nate. <laughs> no, but Fish, it's uh, it's good to be here, man. We've been trying to get this uh, this one recorded for a bit, and it's, just, it, it's hard on the road sometimes to do anything that's not, you know, already scheduled like it's it's hard to fit stuff in especially when we we already do so much out there especially i know you're doing post-production stuff as well and that can just eat eat up your whole weekend yeah for sure Uh, and and like peeling back the curtain a little bit into our pre-production meeting uh we legitimately have been trying to do this for three plus months. Like yeah. I, I came to you and said, would you be interested in this? And you, you said, yeah, mm-hmm. this time works. And then I don't know if it was a weather delay or just like something ran long mm-hmm. or, or like it's possible that I just wasn't feeling it one day and was like, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I cannot put my best version of myself here for this. Um, so here we are after like postponing four or five times. Yeah, I, I it is early October. I'm still feeling the effects of like round one getting delayed at Worlds because that set me back probably three different podcasts. Wow. Yeah, I think that could have been one of our postponements. And 
Didn't you win a tournament last week? Congrats. Thank you. Great uh, work. Won, won an A-tier in Virginia. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's... How many A-tiers is that for you? Three this year. Three this year? How, mm-hmm. Do you know how many total? 17. Wow. That's sweet. Uh, I don't know what gets into me sometimes. Just, like, start playing really good at A-tiers. I'd like to be the major assassin instead of the A-tier assassin. Yeah. Do you feel like the level... How different is the level of play? Like, if you would have played as well as you did this past weekend at that A tier at Worlds, like, how much better would you have finished at Worlds? What place would you have gotten if you played the, if you brought that same level of play over there? Um, I think that's a good question. Uh, I, so this weekend, the thing that worked out really well for me was making 11 circle two putts, which is probably as many as I made in five rounds at Worlds, but so over three. Three rounds, 11 circle um, twos. I don't feel like my throwing was super sharp, but I also hadn't spend the we- spent the week prepping for that course in particular. It was very woodsy, kind of par three and a half track. Um, and, and I did a lot of field work thinking about how to throw the simple shot in prep for Winthrop. Mm-hmm. So, like, my brain was there, but the shot shapes weren't completely practiced. Um, so, I think if I play, it was probably about equivalent to how I played at Worlds. You average like ten thirty or something. Uh, to win? A little less than that. It, it, it's not a course that rates out particularly well, but yeah. you know that's not what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, it's kind of just like I kept putting together good holes and good rounds, mm-hmm. um, and. Even locally, the level of play has risen considerably. Like, I might not go play against a whole bunch of, you know, 10, 20, 10, 30 guys the way that every tour event, even the kind of silver events or in-between A-tiers are. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always going to be a couple, like, 986 locals who are... Just rip it. Yeah who, yeah, who have no fear about the course. Yeah. Who play there every day. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that's something that you've gotten to see over the last... Uh, is this like seven or eight years for you fully on tour? Yeah, this is my finishing my eighth full year on tour. So you're you're very well positioned to kind of see the bigger picture of what it's like to be a touring player on the road, as well as you know representing disc manufacturers in some way, mm-hmm. and, and now the pro tour and the media side. Mm-hmm. Um, can do you have any like broad visions about where we've where we've been and more importantly where we're going yeah i was lucky enough to start my first year on the tour was actually the the first year the inception of the disc golf pro tour and i I wasn't even aware that that was happening when i embarked out on the road i i just had recently fallen in love with the game and, and tournament disc golf and wanted to go play some of the courses out west really wanted to play de la viega and milo and that was kind of my initial inspiration and then i really fell in love with like traveling to play so lucky enough to see the start of the pro tour and then lucky enough to be just good enough to play on the pro tour for for a few years and 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 make it happen there with you know obviously having to sell discs and have a good relationship with this mania and everything to keep me going but i saw the boom you know during during covid and you know i give a lot of lessons at the a, pro, a lot of private lessons in in the off season and i'd say 90 percent of the people i give lessons to say that they started the game in 2020 at post covid so seeing the boom there and it was you know a couple years 
in the past couple of years, 2021, 2022, when I was really working on helping players, when I first, I started helping just my friends out. As, with, as an agent, right? With their contracts, exactly. Like, my first p- person I helped out was Paige Pierce. She just said, hey, Nate, can I get your advice on this, on her contract on her original switch to Discraft. And it was just me looking at her contract going, whoa, this is like missing a lot of important things. And, you know, and helped her negotiate a little bit with, with her big switch. And then I helped my friend Luke Humphreys. And then uh, I met Ezra Aderhold and I, I saw his potential and he was about to sign for, for nothing to, to, to beat, sponsored you know I, I give the quotations there like everyone wants to be sponsored so I was like hey Ezra I really want to help you I see your potential I want you to not sign with anybody I want you to go out on tour by yourself I'm going to help you get sponsored by this company OTB go out on tour and then when you have more leverage we're going to sign you to a better contract and it's going to help you get up a, a higher rung on the ladder right and that just worked out perfectly and then that's when it became like okay I feel like I can really help these players, my friends, and, and just anyone out there. And I started an agency, and Ezra Aderhold was, like, officially my first player. And then I, after doing that for two years, I joined with a now friend, Blake Schaefer, who I called for tax advice for a couple of my players that I was helping. And he shared with me what he was he was working on he was working with Paige Pierce Ricky Wysocki and was doing their contracts and I really felt his passion come through and uh, how sincere he was about like not getting into it for for just a business but getting into it to really just help people and kind of help help the players but also help the companies figure out the best way to to make money with a relationship with the player right so I'm now working with Schaefer Sports, and I'm working with eight players currently right now, and Blake has 20-plus players. It's it's definitely the largest and most successful agency. And so now backing up, 2021, 2022, the market was, like, wild. Like, companies were making a lot of money selling discs. Like, they couldn't keep discs on the shelves and so companies were ready to pay players like they were they were giving out big contracts you know obviously the 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 clear ones like Ricky and Paul you know making million dollars plus but they were giving out big contracts to players that were you know getting top 10s and getting 20th place like players were getting you know 50 60,000 dollar contracts and right now fish we're seeing kind of uh, a regression yeah, it's a it's a pullback. As it's a pullback. I I think it's pretty evident if you look at say YouTube views as a proxy for how popular disc golf is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Post production is not getting half of what it used to. Oh, really? For, is that gatekeepers experiencing that right I, now? I'm not speaking on behalf of gatekeeper. I'm just yeah. like if you look at Jomez, it seemed like they used to get 150 thousand views on mm-hmm. almost every video. Yep. And now it's like they might get to a hundred thousand over mm-hmm. the course of a couple of weeks. Yeah. And and Gatekeeper is kind of the same anecdotally. You know, they used to be they'd have a really good video that hit a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. And now it's like thirty or so is is pretty standard. It seems like. Um, meanwhile, live 
is growing more popular, but DGN isn't, th- those view counts aren't nearly as public. Yeah, I've, I've wondered why we don't have access to the view count and why we can't see how many people are watching DGN. We can when they show it for free on YouTube, but I would love to know how many people like tune in live, how many subscribers there there are and whatnot. Sure. Um, I, I think you always start to wonder, like, who does that benefit if they do or don't publish that number? Yeah. Like, if they if they hold it back because there's only 16,000 total viewers and 6,000 concurrent, well, that's a little bit understandable because those aren't those aren't huge needle moving numbers mm-hmm. if they're trying to attract additional sponsors. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So it might be for them more like they say their total subscriber numbers instead. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so there's been there's been a pullback for sure, and and right now where where I'm at with like helping players is you know when when we get a new player coming and asking Schaefer Sports you know, for help, we're, we're very honest with them. Like, Hey, we can't, we can't just like snap our fingers and like get you a good contract, but we can really, we can guide you in the right direction. Because if you really want to just play disc golf, if you just want to play disc golf, if you don't ever want to post on social media, if you don't want to make a YouTube channel, you don't want to make a podcast, like you have to, you have to win. You just, oh, yeah. you have to win. Like you, you, you've got to win a big, big tournament or two or three or a major. And even that fish is not enough right now to just set you for life. I, I felt like there was a moment where if you won a major, you were kind of set because I thought that the trajectory of the companies, I, I didn't really see that slowing down. And, and so, you know, when, when James Conrad won 21, 21 Worlds, I'm like, the, the man's going to be set for life because he's just going to get a contract, he's going to get a Legends contract, and he's going to have royalties forever. But I don't necessarily think that that's the case anymore. And I think that if you really want to, ju- if you want to play disc golf professionally, you also have to do YouTube professionally. It, it takes a lot of other hustles whether that's you have to whether that's clinics or social media or like various ways of growing your kind of your base of, yep. of people who are avid fans of you not just people who occasionally watch you yep um so i'm interested in your in your role as a player it was easy to kind of just be narrowly focused on what you were doing but now as an agent you have to be more aware of of those trends, whether mm-hmm. that's talking to players or trying to look up uh, public sales figures or whatever you can find to understand about what does the market look like mm-hmm. now and in future. Mm-hmm. Um, how how do you how do you contextualize that, and then how do you how do you take that to the next group of players that you're potentially representing who look at a kevin jones and say i want that yep even though he's only got one big title it's a it's a great question and it's it's really tough because players come to us and say hey i've done this i i won an elite series event and i'm gonna go on tour next year i just want to be paid it's really hard to be the person to go you you don't really deserve to be paid yet or not not even don't deserve you do deserve but who's gonna pay you because 
you winning an elite series last year isn't going to help this company cover your investment. And so Kevin Jones signed a deal at a great, great time. And I think that he is obviously a very valuable player. People love the guy. But when his time to renegotiate comes up in a few years, if he doesn't win you know, a major in the next couple of years or more, more tournaments, he might also be in a similar position where they don't want to pay him that big contract because they're not going to see that direct return on, on that investment. So it's really hard fish to like look at someone and say, man, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to even get you $2,000 a month, man. Like, so the first thing I really do is I, is I, I'm honest with them because in the past I've been that I've been a people pleaser and I'm like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to get you paid. I'm going to get, we're going to get you paid. I promise, you know, but. And, and turns out that when I've talked to players who have dropped their agents, that's exactly what they're hearing. Yeah. They're, they're saying, oh, he promised me that he could get me some outside of disc golf endorsements and then nothing. Yeah. Could never get them on the phone. Yeah. And that, that's common. There's, there's a couple of people who. I haven't met anyone in this business, the agency business that has bad intentions, but I've met a few people who, who definitely were biting off more than they could chew and making promises. And that's where I've really had to take a step back and go, okay, I'm not going to make any promises to anybody. I'm going to be a new term. I just learned radically honest. I'm just going to be so honest that it's painful for me and for them. Like I'm going to tell them, Hey, I don't even think I can get you $1,000 a month, but what you need to do to help both of us is you need to get leverage. And how are you going to do that? You need to be consistent on social media. You need to be directly sharing what discs you threw, how it helped you finish in 12th place to get 1025 rated. Like you need to, you need to have that direct translation from your performance to their product so that they can sell more discs and then attach your name to those discs, and then they're going to see that, they're going to pay you more. Like, it, it should be pretty clear that the only reason you're getting paid is because you're helping them move discs. Like the, but I think a lot of players don't see it that way. They no. see it as, I'm a good player, therefore I should be paid for it. It's, but, it's, different, than, it's different than the NBA, the NFL. Like, those organizations, they're paying players to perform for them because they are getting return from the sales of of people coming to watch them play and they when they make it to the playoffs they make that money back and when they make it to the NBA finals the Super Bowl they're making that back and then some disc golf doesn't have that direct return for the company like if if when Isaac Robinson went won worlds that doesn't automatically mean a huge bump in prodigy disc sales would would it- it, it probably means some, but Prodigy is the only entity that can credibly say what what number that is. Mm-hmm. Like, all of the power lies with them in negotiating unless Isaac, like, has something in his contract that lets him see sales numbers of stuff. Right. Um, and I don't think that the direct, the direct, like, his performance winning worlds is, like, direct enough prodigy to be like wow we saw a huge bump we need to go and get another athlete that's going to win the next worlds like they're not i don't think that they're thinking like that um i think every company there was a while when every company was kind of following the same model Mm -hmm. of 
like let's go back to Ezra Aderhold, right? He did, yeah. He did that year as an unsponsored by manufacturer, had mm-hmm. a retail sponsor. Um, if he had signed at that time with Discraft or Innova or Discmania or any other company, he would have gotten lowballed because he didn't have that leverage. Mm-hmm. And then in general, he would have had a small escalator in the next year's negotiation. That, it's, that was exactly my thinking. And then he went and had a good year, and his YouTube was like, at, I think, 10000 or something at the end of the year. And he had a ton of leverage. And we were able to go get him his name on the nuke the next year. I mean, I'm like on the phone with Discraft, and I'm calling back Ezra. I'm like, dude, they just offered you the nuke. Like, are you <laughs> kidding me? This disc has been around for years. You just started playing disc golf. Like, it was, it was still one of the biggest accomplishments for me helping anybody was like getting him that disc and i i don't think it would it would have been completely different if you're like well you just did a full year for us touring with no income and now yeah, you want like that, that would be like 50 hey man, grand and hey a man, disc you did great uh let's let's give you, you know, 10k and, and uh 200 allotment discs yeah exactly so it it really is just about having a good relationship with the player being honest with them, having a good relationship with all these manufacturers and and finding out which manufacturers need need help to market and which players can help them fit that marketing gap that they have. I'm Holland Hanley, and I listen to the Fish Golf broadcast while I make 60 frozen breakfast burritos. I'm Bradley Williams, and I listen to the Fish Golf broadcast while I sleep. If you like where this show is headed, stick around for part two. We'll never barrage you with 11 minutes of droning external ads to start the show. So please support the Fish Golf broadcast by visiting discgolfbra.com for hats and other apparel. Fish stamp discs are available at fishdiscgolf.com and daddydiscgolf.com, and you can save 10% on upperparkdiscgolf.com with the code ANDREW10 on backpacks and other items. And now, more lies and outrageous claims from our guest, met with calm reason by Fish. When a player says, I'd like to be represented by your agency, yep. and I would like to negotiate a new contract, like, what are the questions that you're starting with there? Are you saying, are there any companies that catch your eye? Like, or what dollar figure are you looking for? Or do you want this to be, like, incentive heavy? Like, how how do you start that? Yeah, to, to, to help them get from huge huge view to, like, three potential companies or something. Yeah, that's that's those are the exact questions that I ask. I mean, I, I don't have a NDA with my last player that I just worked with, but uh, I'm going to help Parker Welk. He just joined the agency. Just, so just had a conversation with Parker and, you know, asked him, you know, who, who he, who he prefers to work with, like who are his preferred companies. He's working with Prodigy right now. So that's the first deal is that he would love to continue working with them because he's been throwing their discs. Yeah, he likes to, their product. Have to switch he feels like their bag. family. So, you know, we, we start there and then we then basically say, what, what's one, two, three, who, who's after that if if they're not looking to invest in a new in, in, invest in another player um or bump your contract up then 
do you want to play for Discraft? Do you want to play for Dismania? Like, who's your ideal people? And then I just go to talk to them and say, hey, where, what's your team looking like? Like, do you have any space? What do you think about Parker Welk? Like, where do you think he needs to be to get what he would like to, to just keep doing this? Sure. And, yeah. and you've got to hard sell a little bit there and say, like, you know, Parker qualified for the tour championship by winning the dynamic mm-hmm. discs open. He like, this is a really solid year for someone who's on tour for the first time. Imagine what he could do with additional support. Yeah, exactly. I mean, most of the team managers see those things pretty clearly. And so really the sell is just the early communication with them and, and seeing, getting the name in before their budget is, is complete. Uh, because there's, there's really, you, you are, you are trying to, you know, sell your player and you make them sound good, but you also want to just work together. Like, hey, Discraft, I think that Parker could fit in here in your marketing strategy, and these are the ways that we're going to do it kind of deal. Instead of, oh, Parker's so good, you just got to trust me on this. Just like more so working with them directly, like, hey, Lone Star, I think Parker could be your new face to introduce your next like few discs kind of deal or, and or, spark some ideas with them. Yeah, or, or into, say, he's he's from the Southwest, like Hawaii and California where he identifies. Maybe there's a company that's underrepresented in those markets. Yeah. Things like that. It's great ideas. You're up next fish. Oh, cool. I'm I'm the, uh, I guess (laughs) I'm the new agent. If I'm giving you all these good ideas. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's also, I'm sure not worth it for you to like try to push so hard on a company that they don't want to work with you with your other clients too. Right. Has that has that been in anything yet? Well, it's been interesting because I was one of the I wasn't the very first person. There were people before me that were representing players or trying to. Uh, there was I think was it DGI? Do you remember that from uh, like 2015, 2016? Is that the one that was representing Paul and it was supposed to be this huge thing yeah. that was going to completely remake yes. disc golf contracts and then it completely scuttled? Yes, exactly. Oh yeah, I'm still mocking it eight years later. Yeah, exactly. And so I wasn't the first, there were definitely people before me, but I was one of the first people to be just representing players. So at the first few years, it's awkward. You're calling them and they're going, wait, what? why are you doing this, Nate? Like, aren't you a player? <laughs> like, don't you like commentate? What are you doing? And, and... It was weird because no one really wanted to talk to an agent. They're like, we just want to talk to the player. And I'm like, well, it's getting kind of awkward now, don't you think? We're talking about like a hundred grand here. Like, why? It's hard for the player to be vouching for themselves and to hear from their company, hey, you're not worth that. Per- particularly when the company kind of has all the power because you can't share what the details of your contract are with other players or, or other people. Right. Like, at, at least according to the terms of what I sign every year, I can't tell you that. Right. So it was it was interesting at first. But to answer your question, it it's one of the primary goals is to have a good relationship with the manufacturers. That's what I realized very early on was I'm not going to bully any of these people. I want, I want these people to be my friends. They already are my friends now, all these guys. And... I just want to make sure that they understand that my motive is to help them sell more discs. 
because when they're selling more discs and my player helped them do that, everyone's getting paid. So that's the true motive behind it. And I mean, I haven't like, you know, I'm not running away with a lot of cash out of this <laughs> out of this deal here. I'm You're like driving someone else's van right now. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm I'm devoting myself to this game. So I think it could, you know, down the line be like a successful business and when the the bubble of disc golf is that much larger and, and I'm helping a young kid get a big contract, it maybe it's lucrative, but right now the everyone's kind of understands where myself and Blake Schaefer are coming from and so there's just like a le there's just like a level of trust there and now you know we just have good relationships and I enjoy like talking to them and I think I think they enjoy talking to me yeah for sure and uh not to impugn impugn your skills as a disc golfer like you're a very credibly good disc golfer um, but it seems like you you recognize that playing maybe wasn't quite your future and being an agent has enabled you to diversify your income sources a little bit. Um, and But so has commentary. Like, you've got a very polished and practiced voice over the last several years. Um, can, can you talk about some of your early influences in, in commentary and what you, like, what you thought you knew and now you know? <laughs> yeah. Man, I'd have to go back quite a quite a few years to to recall like my early influences. I think, you know, the first videos I was watching didn't have any commentary at all. Like the McFly so high. Did, did you ever? Oh, did yeah, you ever watch yeah. those? The, yeah, I I got filmed on them a couple times. It was yeah, great. and I I recall watching. I definitely watched 2014 Worlds. The Paul and Ricky battle, and that that for me was like, that totally changed my life. That was like, I want to play this game professionally. Like, I love this game. Like, I was like, my my father and I were watching it. Was it Disc Off Planet? Is that what Disc we were? Disc Off Planet was the live one. That's that what we were point. watching it on. And so John Brooks was one of the guys that was doing it, and it it just it made me just want to play the game, and then. It was just a natural, like, it, there was just a natural pull for me to just talk to whoever was filming disc golf, just to talk to them. I remember talking to Terry Miller. I think he might have been one of the first people that I worked with. Uh, I did a, some commentary with him. And it was always just so natural for me to just, when I got on camera, to just, like, make friends with the the people that were filming. I was on an early... Jomez, I think it was 2016 Texas State Championship. I made a, a Jomez uh, final final round, and those guys were my friends. Like from then on, and I did some work with them in tw 2018, and that's when I started getting messages from people like, "Hey, I loved your commentary." Whoa! And then I started people started recognizing me from the commentary, and so it it just seemed like a natural pull to just keep doing that. And, and now I, I am probably close fish for having my voice might be on more disc golf videos than anybody like in the world. Uh, I don't know where Jerm and Nate are, but it's probably close, close with them. Uh, Terry Miller is probably close, but 
I know for sure that I've worked with more disc golf production companies than anyone. I can like proudly and confidently say say that I've just worked with so many. If you can come up with a disc golf production company, I've I've worked with them, and I I love it. I I love post production. It's a it's a grind. It, it, commentating in the middle of the night sometimes, like I. I remember commentating at like 3 a.m. at Worlds and then playing the next day at like 10 a.m. That that tends to be a sustaining cycle once you're <laughs> once you're in that loop, though. <laughs> it's it's wild, you know, waking up at, at early to commentate and then drive all day long and you know do the back nine when we get there. And I I look back on it and I'm just so thankful for all the opportunities. And really, when I get, when I get to sit down. With someone, uh, when I get to sit down with a Brian Earhart or sit down with Terry or, or you know, sit down. I've been doing it with Connor O'Reilly lately. When I just get to sit down with a friend and just, like, sit in front of the mic and, like, talk about disc golf and, and be one of the voices, like, walking you through it and telling the story or getting excited about a shot. I just, it really, it, it it's still really rewarding. Mm-hmm. So, I... I'm so thankful for all those opportunities that I've had. And I think all those post-production rounds, all, all the, the grind, I'll call it, uh, I feel like it led me to the opportunity to work uh, with the Disc Golf Network and to work on the live broadcast, which is, which is now where I feel my passion is, is, is live disc golf and the, the the opportunities with the disc golf network are are legitimate like as far as i i feel like there's a future in it i feel like that's the direction of disc golf of that's just where sports live is live so getting to work on a live broadcast like in the booth is like the pinnacle for me i love being on course i love you know get someone tossing it to me and me me telling telling the audience something that they might not be able to see but yeah, the, the live disc golf in the booth is like, you know, kind of the dream job right now. So, man, just what, so thankful. Which is harder, doing post-production where it's quick cuts and you're trying to like densely fill a little bit of space mm-hmm. or live where for three days or more, you've got four hours or so to fill and you don't know what's going to happen. Like y- yep. you can do all the prep in the world and it's out the window as soon as that first shot is thrown. Yeah. It's a good question. Post-production is a d- different discipline. You know, it's a different art form. It's, it is a, it's a little bit more of your acting and you're trying to, you're definitely trying to walk the viewer through. It's, it's tougher. Post-production is, is harder, I think. Because, and I'll tell you why, because so many people, like, so many people want the play-by-play, and then other people don't want the play-by-play. They're like, hey, we've, we're already seeing it. Tell us something we don't know. And there's, there's, it's so hard to just discuss with your co-host without talking over a shot. And that's going to make some people unhappy, and that's going to, you know, ruffle some feathers. And there's never enough time to truly like dissect a shot and and really talk about it especially when like you and your co-hosts like if you and brian are both working together like you're both complete junkies about 
this hyzer flip that he's starting on steep hyzer and look at it break just in front of this tree he's pushing it the entire width of the fairway which is what you have to do all of a sudden like you're two shots late you're Shit. at the green already yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's hard in, in that aspect i think it's also hard because it, it can be tough to bring that enthusiasm when you already know exactly what happens sometimes you don't but if Eagle McMahon does some crazy thing, we're all going to hear about it before, you know, and then we look at the scorecard because you're doing the you're doing the research and you want to be able to to t talk to people about what disc they're throwing and everything and like put that in there. But it, you, you can't not know what people shoot. Yeah. And at some level that can be helpful for like scripting your storylines. Like we really want to hit on this and hype up this player when he's doing well. And then we'll kind of like back off of that when he struggles a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, but it also means that it's hard to manufacture the like genuine enthusiasm for mm -hmm. some, for, for a big highlight. It is, especially fish when this, this year for the, for the silver series, I was doing on course for FPO and then I was in the booth for MPO and then I was doing FPO post-production and MPO post-production. It's like, a lot of talking. It's we're talking like 14 hour days, <laughs> 14 hour days, just talking disc. Right. And so I've, I've seen it live. I've talked about it live and now I'm seeing it post and I'm talking about it post and it got tough, but also like I was working with central coast this year, but when it, when you get down into the moment and you, and you hit the start button to record it, you're, you're not really thinking about all that. You're just like, I'm going to bring my best, my best presentation because the person that's listening, they don't know what I'm going through to be here to talk about it. So I'm just going to, I'm going to make sure my voice is literally ready to talk and I'm going to bring the enthusiasm and I'm going to bring the passion that is there. It's not, I don't really have to fake it when we press record because I, I am excited about the shots and I am excited about the people that are going to see this for the first time. So but the the booth, the booth is difficult in in a, in a different way. Uh, but I think the reason that the booth is easier is because you really get to you really get to kick back and let it breathe a lot more. And and for me, like I love most of the people that are in the booth. But sometimes when you're there, it's hard to remember to let the let the golf tell its own story. Like talk about the shots, but just just back off and, and let it breathe. And when you're in the booth, there's no one telling you that you're doing a good job or you're doing a bad job or that you shouldn't have said that sentence or that let's push it this way. And when you finish that four-hour day, there's no one briefing you. And, and there's no way you remember all of it either. No. And <laughs> like when Tony Romo finishes his broadcast on cbs like he gets briefed for like an hour and they say hey this moment tony great job this call out right here excellent and then this language that's not really what we were looking for like hey you got a little too sloppy here this story was a little dragged out like work on your timing here like when disc golf gets a little bigger we're gonna have someone like that we're gonna have a talent talent director and a talent coach and at like talent prep that could probably be the same person, but someone that's like prepping us, prepping the people in the booth for like a quality broadcast. And right now you're just like totally in the dark for four hours and you're like, well, I guess I'll read comments on YouTube to, to get feedback on whether or not what I said 
made sense even. Yeah. um, (laughs) What's, what's something that you do as a commentator that is better than anybody else doing commentary right now? I think the wind reading, wind direction, and being extra, being really specific about how that's going to affect what the player is trying to do. I don't think we talk about the wind enough because that's it's really the biggest challenge we face. It's it's the thing that changes the course the most. It's the cha- it's the factor that changes the scores the most. And like in golf, they have the reading of the greens. Sure. Right. We they'll, don't. They'll show the undulations in a 3D. We need wind in the 3D. Right. Interesting. So, so I guess from a technical perspective. If you say he's facing a, a headwind left to right, if he throws a hyzer, that means it's going to get smashed and pushed to the right. It won't finish as hard as it needs to. Like, that's a really useful technical thing to say. But I feel like sloppier or less experienced broadcasting <laughs> says, oh, it's really windy today. That's going to affect shots. It's not that. It's true. Yeah. But it's not useful. Not useful, and, and sometimes it's not even brought up, and there's a lot of just talk about what this means if he birdies or what this is going to do and if he's going to be able to win. And, like, it's it's been – there's been a lot of focus on the story and trying to tell the story yourself, but you're not really telling the story. Like, the story is being written by the golf that's being played. Like, it's – it tells its own story. Like, the, everyone can see the scorecard and everything, and – at a certain point, you're just guessing what the player's thinking or if they're even thinking about what the score is or the win or what they need to do on this birdie instead of just, like, stick to the golf. That's what I always remind myself. Just stick to the golf, talk about the shot, talk about what I know is difficult on the hole, what I know a lot of people are doing, how people are failing on the hole, how people are succeeding, and just just stick to that. And I, I think that this that's how we're going to get better at it is, is just letting the disc golf tell its own story and helping people understand why it was hard for them to, to play the game. All right. That's really great insight. Uh, Nate, thank you so much for sharing several different parts of your own story. Um, I, I appreciate that. And I like this type of conversation is really what I want this podcast to be. Like cool. you have these unique insights and in a lot of different aspects of disc golf. And it's so cool that you're just like excited about every single one of them. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I, this game has given me, it's given me everything. I mean, I was 22 years old when I started touring. I'm 30 now and I've traveled the world and it's, it's given me everything. So I'm, I'll always be thankful for it and uh, I'll do what I can to give back. All right. Good deal. Uh, If you enjoyed this podcast and want to tell me exactly how much you enjoyed it, you can find me on Instagram and whatever the fuck Twitter is at fish58320. And if you hated the podcast, you thought the guest was dull, doesn't actually know what he's talking about, and you don't want to hear any more from him, where can people find you, Nate? Yeah, you can find me uh, at Perks of Disc Off on Instagram and YouTube. And Aren't they calling it the X now? What is Twitter's like? Is it still Twitter, or do you download X? I can't wait until it goes to all subscription, and I can just delete my account entirely. Nice. Yeah, I've never, I've never made a Twitter, but yeah, it's not worth it. Per- perks of Disc Off, Instagram, and YouTube, and 
Yeah, thanks for doing this, Fish. Yeah, thank you. And uh, to close us out, do you remember what Brent Musburger's call on Vince Young dashing to the corner of the end zone? And he's got it. You don't remember this? No, I know that play. I was, I, I was, I watched it live with my dad. It was that 2005 uh, national championship. No, I, I can't. I can't say. I, well, I recall as it. A, as a Texan, I need you to school up on that, and that's what I'd like you to call every time I make anything the rest of my career. Yeah. And he's got it. <laughs> all right, Nate. Thank you so much. Thank you, Fish. That's all for this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast. But be sure to check out previous episodes and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Check out Fish Golf Broadcast hats and other apparel at discgolfbra.com and badger your friends until they listen too. Join us next time as I goad yet another guest into starting a fight with another touring player, campsite host, or toll booth attendant on the Fish Golf Broadcast. <laughs>